102.5 FM, KXSFLP San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. With the world appearing to be topsy-curvy these days, are there still predictable trends? And do they really matter? If there are clear trends, what are they and where are we heading? Today I'm talking with Daniel Levine, director of Avon Guide Institute and publisher of Wikitrend on the state of the world and the trends that will define the direction of our near future. Thank you for joining me today, Daniel. Oh, it's my pleasure speaking with you. What makes you a trend watcher? Well, I'm the director of the Avant Guide Institute. We're a trend consultancy uh, based in New York, working globally. Um, and I work with trend spotters around the world who every day are sending us things that they're finding that are new and unique and unusual in some way. And one of the things we do is w- when we start to see the same kind of thing happening in the same psychographic or demographic or geographic We connect those dots and see trends forming and help companies and and, and associations understand what those are uh, through keynote speeches and other presentations uh, and, and consulting work. How did you get into watching trends? I've always been interested in how we got here, how I got here. We're, as humans, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And I, I, I majored in history because I was interested in that. Like, how, how did us as humans get to this spot? And then as a, when I uh, became an adult, um, one of the businesses that I started was publishing travel guides. Um, and I hired a lot of writers around the world who were sending in things that they were finding, cool, all the cool things they were finding at restaurants, hotels, nightlife, shopping, sightseeing. And then um, one day I got a call from Deutsche Telekom, which is uh, the largest telecom company in Germany, maybe in Europe. They asked me to uh, take a bunch of their C-level people on a tour of European cities to show them the current state of retail. And it was prescient of them to ask me because uh, I was totally on top of that. And they paid well for it. And that's when my own, I sort of connected my own dots and went, aha, there's companies that are interested in this, in trends and and how they can help them. So uh, that's when I started using these writers to be the beginnings of of, of the trend spotters that are part of the Avant Guide Institute. uh, It's been about 20 years now. Uh, that I'm focusing on trends across the industrial spectrum. Uh, listeners might also be interested to know that when it comes to trends, you know, trends aren't aren't siloed by industry. Uh, sure, there's trends that are specific to particular businesses, but most trends are coming from what people are thinking and feeling and the zeitgeist of the world. And company people who run companies are very good at knowing what's happening inside their own industries, less so about what else is happening in the world. And so I I see myself as a generalist in a world of specialists, connecting people to understand what's working everywhere else uh, in in the world as far as trends are concerned. What an interesting shift. How are trends... Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fun shift, I must say. How are trends not fads? 
it's, you know, a lot of people confuse trends and fads, and, and they think of trends and they think of, of fashion trends or, or fidget spinners. I get I get uh, secretly annoyed every time I open a, 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 a newspaper online and I see them talking about a fashion trend because it's not it's a fashion fad uh, and fads are things that you know come and go quickly uh, a trend is a much bigger movement of 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 people or ideas that a business can actually make a business plan around the the, the definition that we use in my office for a trend is shared changes in sentiment in any measurable direction and that means once once you can measure a group of people thinking or feeling or buying or moving in a particular direction, there's there's a trend that's forming. Uh, is if if it's just them buying fidget spinners, well, a fidget spinner is a fad, but it might be part of a larger trend of a certain kind of a toy, for example. So you're saying that it's a psychological shift. Yeah, well, that, that's that's certainly part of it. And um, you know, when most people think of trends, they also think about um, like like uh, hard numbers, graphs, and charts, and and, and it's, it's important to start with, um, with 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 the understanding of how many people are out there or doing something, or 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 the 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 density of of of, of something that's forming. But uh, there's two sides to trends, and I like to think of what we're doing as the sexy side. We start with statistics, and then but that's just the start. And then we take those stats and we say, yeah, but, but who are they? What do they want? What are they looking for? How is that changing the world? So it's, it's, it's the part of trends that I think, uh, well, it, it's the more interesting part for me. And it's the social science part that is very important and connected to the hard numbers part. But they're, they're, they're two separate things that, are, that, that work together to form the whole picture. What's the difference or how long does a trend last versus a fad? Fads are quick and and they're they're often less than a year. And um, you know we we've all seen fads. We every day when you 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 look on the internet and there seems to be a new fad about you know eating Tide Pods or whatever that happens to be. Um, trends la- last really most of them will last our entire careers. And one of the defining things about trends is that they have a lot of inertia. Trends, once they start going, they seem to snowball and get even more intense, unless something huge comes to stop them from doing that. And, and, and I, I mean, that, that can be a pandemic. It can be a war. You know, it, it can be some, something huge can change the direction of a trend. But, but otherwise, they're, they're, they're usually going to be more intense in a few years from now than they are today. And how are they typically formed if it's not due to an, a larger response, let's say towards a pandemic or something that's happened to us that we have, like a war that we have to respond to? You know, what's the pulse that gets, gets it going right. and built up? How are trends made? That's the, the, the million dollar question. And, and, you know, companies and people all want to start trends because, you know, starting a trend is even more powerful than just following one. It's really hard to start a trend. Trends are formed by the conflict between static human needs, which never change, and the ever-changing global environment, which is always in flux. Static human needs are things like food, shelter, clothing, security, employment, friendship, love, respect. These are, these are things that are imbued in every human. We just have them. If the global environment around us never changed, 
then there would be no need for anything new in our world. It would be we'd have the human needs and the and a, a static environment, and we would just get along perfectly well because all our needs are being taken care of. But the problem is that the global environment is always changing, and it it changes puts pressure on those human needs so that we're always looking for new things to eat and ways to shelter ourselves and clothes to wear and security around us and employment ways to employ ourselves and how to gain respect for our from friends and family and people around us the trends are formed by that conflict it's a constant pressure that's happening between the two but why does it matter why do we need to proactively understand what they are or we could just go with the flow and react as they come. I think that most people do just react, go with the flow with trends. I mean, to be honest, most people are not out there on the street saying, I'm really into this trend and I'm planning to react to it and do that. But for businesses and people who are maybe city planners or creating things for the future, Knowing what trends are extremely important. Tr- trends are like the secret sauce to understanding what people want. It's a, it, it's a it's a kind of way of getting into people's heads, and a way of divining the near future. It sort of makes me think of the Darwin quote, which was he he said something like, "The most successful are not the largest or the fastest, but those most able to change." It's so important to be able to change to be successful. If you just stay the same, things will pass you by because, as I said, the global environment is always moving and always changing. And so trends really matter to anyone who is looking to build something not just for now, but but three to five years from now, because you need to understand where the world is going to be, not where it is right now. There's a lot going on in this world right now, (laughs) right? So right now, there's a lot going on in the world that's contradictory and atypical past trends like we have inflation coupled with undersupply rather than over demand. Typically, you have inflation when there's over demand. In this case, we have a situation of inflation with undersupply. How would you describe what's going on right now? No one seems to know what's going to happen next. It's interesting because in the trends world that I inhabit, it's much easier to predict long-term trends than short-term trends. Predict what will happen 50 years from now than what will happen three years from now, which sounds counterintuitive. But the reason for that, well, well, let me me give you an example. If you look at the S&P 500 and you look at just a chunk of 20 years from 1960 to 1980, it's pretty flat. It's hard to tell which direction it's going. But if you look at from 1900 to 2000, it's a one-way street going up. It's, it's, It's obvious which way it's going. If you look at those 100 years, you could easily extrapolate to the next 100 years. Yeah, that's the direction of the S&P 500. And in fact, every investor understands that the market rewards those who have patience. And it's the same thing with with trends of any other kind, that are uh, self-driving autonomous cars going to be a, a, a normalized thing around us in 20 years? I don't know about that. There's there's arguments on both sides about that. Will they be a normalized part of our lives in 100 years? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good bet. That's a bet I would take. This question about how the world is looking at the moment with being atypical, with challenge with the su- supplies, if you look at that in the long run, well, I mean, look, for the best part of 80 years, we've had plentiful supply. 
You want a car or a TV? No problem. Anyone with money could get it delivered tomorrow. What we're going through right now with this undersupply is not part of a trend that we've been seeing in the long term lately. It, it is an anomaly. And that's why I think that the long term trend is plenty of supply to meet the demand like we've had and been living through for the last 80 years. Well, 100 years is easy, Ray. No one knows what's going to happen next year or in the next three years, it seems like at this point. Yeah, that's right. And futurists, you know, anyone who claims to know the future is a fool. You know, luckily, I don't consider myself a futurist. I consider myself a trends expert looking at the next three to five years, really, based on things that are already in motion today. It's hard to say that the idea of hindsight is 2020 is absolutely correct. It's, it's much harder when you're in the middle of it. But that's why I have a team around me and make a living doing what I do. So there's not a way to get ahead of the trends, then, you don't think? I do. I do. I, I mean, that, that's exactly the work I do. So I help companies. I mean, I work in the, the business space. So I help uh, companies or, or, or countries understand that conflict that's happening said between, the, between human needs and the, and the changing environment. And then the third part of that is looking for successful answers to that conflict that companies and brands and countries around the world are doing. Not necessarily in that same industry, it could be somewhere else. They're answering those questions. And by using those examples as inspiration, it's very helpful to get wheels turning, to come up with ideas within your own milieu to create ways of getting ahead of those trends. Not only is it possible, um, it's the kind of work that I do every day. Given the current state of the world as being seen as unpredictable at this time, what is trending or what are you seeing that's still trending even in the state? Sure. Your listeners will identify with a lot of this. When you look at jobs and the way people are working, we've, we've gone through a, a sea change really in the way that people conceive of, of work often. Before the pandemic, people were thinking about work-life balance. That was always a buzz term. Work is on one side, life is on the other, you try to balance it. But that seems kind of antiquated now because people are understanding, maybe not in, in words, but sort of inside somehow, that the new way of looking at life is really about work-life integration. Work isn't something other than your life, like work is on one side and life is on the other. Work is part of your life and an important part of your life. It's important as pl plenty of other things about, um, about friends and family and, and, and your intellectual life and your spiritual life and uh, all of it. That's a trend that is, that is snowballing that we will see grow even larger in the next three to five years. You don't think people will go back yeah. to work full time? Well, some, some people are. I, I don't think it's going to be like it was before. I think it will be much more on a person-to-person -person or company-to-company -company basis. Some people will be going back to offices. Some people will prefer not to. Companies will offer more flexible experiences coming, you know, showing up on certain days. Companies will come up with other creative answers to this too. But no, I, I, I don't see it being, uh, you know, 100% back at work like it was before the pandemic. Do you? Do I? Well, I feel bad for the young people <laughs> and people starting new jobs. <laughs> like, where are they going to go? There's no culture team, right? If 
there's no place. No, absolutely. It, it, it is a double-edged sword, Adam. But, you know, interestingly, uh, like like you and, and, and your listeners, we all have met people who prefer not to go back to work, and we've met just as many people who miss the work environment. Um, and I think that that's what's so interesting about the future, that it will allow a flexibility that didn't exist before. That is true. It's hard to have it both ways. you got to have a yeah. range of options. What else do you see in your crystal ball going into 2023 that people should be aware of? The world of shopping is in flux. By the way, let me sort of preface this by saying so many of the trends that we're seeing were trends that were already in motion in a slow way before the pandemic. And the pandemic has served to sort of hyper zoom these and throw them front and center. In the shopping world, things have been moving online for a long time. But now there's sort of an interesting counter where we're seeing the, it's sort of settling in in the, in the near future into this mix of online and bricks and mortar, which some people are calling fidgetal. It's the, it's the, the combination of physical and digital. What it means is being able to, to shop both online and offline in a seamless way. And maybe one of the best examples of this is a store like Amazon Go, where there's, there's no cashiers, there's nobody working in the store to take your money. You, you check in with your mobile phone when you walk in, you take whatever you want off the shelf. Things in the store, technology in the store that knows what you've taken off the shelf and put in your basket. And when you walk, you just walk out and you automatically get charged on your Amazon account. It's this combination of physical and digital in one universal experience. And we're seeing that in other spaces as well. Another thing I think about is because of what we were just talking about with work from home and it not going back to how it was before, the, that's going to change what cities look like. Um, and here in New York, where I am, uh, one of the things that's happening is a lot of buildings are being transformed from office buildings to, to living buildings. And what does that mean for central business districts when it's not like it was before? And one of the things that we're seeing is that instead of being these CBDs, central business districts, some are becoming more like CSDs, like central social districts. And so even the places in which we live are being transformed by what's happening with the people who's living in them. Is it possible for it to be both if a mixed you situation where you have, let's say, conference rooms downstairs, which I've seen before, feeling that it's almost like you have best of both worlds, right? Yes. Trends are not black and white. It's not either or. It's about the, the the flux of life and change. Yes, I mean one example. You know, pretty much every hotel brand that I've seen coming online in the next five years has a space downstairs for people to work because people want to. They don't want to be working in their stuck in their uh, in, in their room upstairs, but they don't want to be too involved with other people too because they're working. So they they have these spaces where people can work alone together. And maybe that's referring to the, the kind of thing you're talking about. Well, what about technology? Because technology is also changing our behaviors quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's this uh, metaverse, which I'm not completely clear how someone can wear a headset that long. Uh, you have AI 
you have self-driving cars like you were um, describing. I'm seeing the map of the entire city. So what's your take on what's happening in terms of how it's going to change our behavior? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think technology probably changes us physiologically as well, changes our brain, really. But what I'm seeing, if, if uh, to sort of take a little bit of a, of a longer view on it, we're building technologically often is, is integrations with our bodies to make, us, to, to make us smarter and faster and stronger. And I think of things, even things like, um, like AirPods, that you put in, you put them in your ear. People are walking around with these things dangling from their ears. The idea of that is to make these people into sort of superhumans that they can listen to music or talk to people or get information just right there in their ears already. But it's so janky to have these plastic things dangling from your ears. It makes complete sense to me that the next step after that is to implant them in your ears. Why should you have these things? That are, that are dangling around. The model for that is that they actually already have these implants that are made for hearing impaired people. Um, so the step is only to normalize that for people with regular hearing. When I'm walking from one room of my house to the next room, I'm, I'm often holding a phone in one of my hands. Why should I be using one of my very important appendages just to hold this phone? It makes no sense at all. It makes much more sense that it would be integrated in me somehow. That's why I also think that any of these glasses that are being created for augmented reality or virtual reality are stepping stones to something that's even more invasive. And I've seen, for example, um, contact lenses that are embedded with smart chips. You can wear them and then uh, they work like AR glasses and you can see a world on top of them through those lenses. I think that the future of humanity is the comp is is humanity becoming more more robotic. Is that scary? Do you think we're going to have a Terminator situation? <laughs> in a way, in a way, it is scary. I think it's kind of scary, and and um, I think that too many people are used by technology rather than the other way around, sort of without thinking about it. And you know, when I go to an event. And there's people that, that are, that are uh, seeing the entire, experiencing the entire event through their cell phone that, that they're holding up in front of their faces rather than being there themselves. I think that's a negative thing. The wonderful things that, hap- that the cell phone and the iPhone have done for us are, are great, but there's a lot of negatives there as well. And, and I think that all of us, you and me and your listeners, need to be very careful about how we use technology and not be used by it. I completely agree. Thank you for joining me on Spark and sharing your expertise, Daniel. Kelly, awesome speaking with you, and I hope we get a chance to do it again sometime.